Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. we continue our prophet, priest, and king series on our 10th and final message, the homecoming of a faithful servant. You know, we all enjoy those videos on social media of soldiers returning home, whether it's with their surprise, their their spouse, or their children at school, or some type of thing, or maybe it's a college student returning after a long absence over abroad at school, or things of that nature, or just the long-lost family pet that finally finds its way home. And we watch those and we realize that tears are streaming down our faces and our voices are choked with emotion. Anyone like that? As I get older, I find myself falling victim to those types of videos all the time. But on the less dramatic side, we all look forward to returning home after a busy work week uh, or a business trip or even a long-deserved vacation. There's something about finally coming home. We want to be received, and not just coming home, but we want to be received by others, whether it's a welcome home banner and our family standing there, or just knowing that's where our family, our children, or even our pets are. There's something about coming home. Now, in today's message, we're going to close the final chapter in the life of the prophet Elijah as he comes to the end of his ministry of serving Yahweh in a very hostile environment against a king and a queen who hated him immensely and sought to kill him repeatedly. Pictured in our patch today is a man who is finishing well and is ready to go home. He is done with his ministry. Now, sadly, this is not a picture we always get either in the Bible nor in real life. Not everyone who professes to be a servant of God finishes well. And that's a sad fact that you and I understand. Lately, there has been a rash of profession uh, of, of, of Christians or people who profess Christ, uh, pastors, teachers, and even singers, songwriters that are leaving the faith. Our news are just uh, a lit for those of us who might be aware of Joshua Harris, who's known for his best-selling book in the 90s called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was a pastor of a large church for like 13 years, uh, very influential in the evangelical movement, only to eventually leave his church saying, I think I'm going to leave church and go get more education, which he, he probably needed. But then in the meantime, he wound up repudiating all the doctrines and the principles in his book, wind up announcing several weeks ago that he's leaving his wife, and then said, oh, I, I also conveniently left out that I'm also leaving the faith. I am no longer a Christian. And when we see that his departure has left many hurt, disappointed, confused, and angry. Dustin Kinstrew is a singer and songwriter that many of us love. We sung some of his songs even here today. He wrote a wonderful album with great scriptural truths, but yet he's left the faith or seems to have left the faith after a devastating church split up in Washington. But he's not only, there's also historical ones, very famous ones. Most of you may not recognize the name Horatio Spafford, but you will recognize his most famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And many of you may remember the the theme behind It Is Well With My Soul. He wrote that hymn after some traumatic events in his life. 
The first was the death of his son at the age of two, and then the great Chicago fire of 1871 in which he lost most of his money and his investments. He was ruined financially. His business interests were further hit by an economic downturn of 1873, which at that time he planned to travel to Europe with his family on the SS Villa de Havre. In the late change of plans, he sent his family ahead while he was delayed on business concerning zoning problems that resulted from the Chicago fire. While crossing the Atlantic, his, the, sip, the ship excuse me, sank rapidly with a collision with another sea vessel, and all four of his daughters died. His wife Anna survived and sent him that famous telegram, Saved Alone. Shortly afterwards, as they traveled to meet his, treat, meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write those words as a ship passed near where his daughters had died. It is well with my soul. However, what's missing from that story is that later in his life, he and his wife apostatized, moved to Jerusalem with a group of people, and began a cult. It was a terrible instance in their life, and eventually they denied most of all the truths of Orthodox Christianity. But as we come back to Elijah, we see a man who finishes well. He was a man that was large in life, but as we've seen throughout Scripture, in so many ways, he was like you and I. Yes, he accomplished wonderful, miraculous things that you and I could only imagine, but yet at the same time, he felt like you and I did. He struggled with depression, fear, and loneliness. There are times that he felt that God was far from him. He felt that he had not accomplished all that he could do. In a sense, he actually felt like he was a father. And remember, he just wanted to die. Again, as he comes to the close of his ministry in life, we see that he is ready for a homecoming. His ministry is done. His life work is accomplished. He's ready to be received by his loving father that he served so well. Yet there is still one last mission before he is done. And in today's passage, we read that once again, Elijah is sent to the king to deliver a very unpopular message. But this time it's not to King Ahab who has died, but to Ahab's son. So with that, 2 Kings chapter 1 Look at verses 1 through 4. It's here on the monitor. It says, After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahazai fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria. He was the king's son, and he lay sick. And so he sent messengers telling them, Now listen to this. Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. So here he is, he falls, he takes a great fall. It's an injury that's leading him to be bedridden and he's afraid and fear of his life. So he sends his messenger to the Philistines to ask them of a foreign God, a false God of whether or not he should die. But look in verse three. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king in Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Akron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So then we just see the note. So Elijah went and did so. Father, we just come before you when you ask for your wisdom 
as we consider the end of Elijah's ministry, his last moments on earth. Father, we can be encouraged and challenged by his ministry and by the man. And so, Father, many times, though, we can feel uh, overwhelmed by who he is and what he's done. But yet, Lord, it's how he's received by you that's so important. And so let us gather what we can. I pray that your spirit would give us give free reign in our hearts. Help us to respond to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, throughout this series, we have pointed out, as you can see here on the monitor, that Elijah was a man who confidently and courageously obeyed God's word in defiance of dangerous circumstances and despite the dire consequences he faced. This is important. This is the, if we were, if we were to say a moral tale, this was what I've been wanting you to gather, is that you and I are to do the same. At this point in his life, his old nemesis, King Ahab, is dead, just as God had predicted or promised and Elijah had predicted. The evil Queen Jezebel, she still is alive, and she's serving as an advisor to her son, the new King Ahaz. Now, as we come to the second book of Kings, we read of this another confrontation, but with a different king. And we see Elijah always seems to be the bearer of bad news, but he was also an equal opportunity prophet because he pronounced judgment not only on two kings of Israel, but also, if you go to Second Chronicles, also to the king of Judah. It seems like his specialty was bringing bad news to bad kings. Now, Ahaz, uh, uh, I'm going to say his name probably different ways as we go on th throughout the, this morning, but Ahaziah was the personification of the slogan, like father, like son. Look at First Kings. It should be right on the, the back page there. First Kings chapter 22, the last chapter. And look at the last few verses of that, verses 51 through 53. It says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned only two years, we see, over Israel. And he did what it says in verse 52. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother, speaking of Ahab and Jezebel, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And he served Baal, and he worshipped him, and he provoked the Lord, the God of, anger, to, uh, of God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done, like father like son. He had not learned the hard lessons of life. The apple did not fall far from this apple cart. And we read that he had the same attitude towards Elijah as his father did. Look at back to 2 Kings chapter 1. In verse 5 through 8, we're going to see now as they interact, Elijah and the king. So the messengers, as Elijah meets them, Elijah went he meets the messenger in verse 5. We see the messengers return to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? He, wasn't, they, they came, they, he was expecting them to take a longer time. In verse 6, they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to acquire a Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you should not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Verse 7. And he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? He's inquiring. He wants to know, who was this man who interrupted your trip? Why are you coming back? By what authority? Whose authority? Verse 8. <clears throat> and they answered him. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. 
And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Now, as you say that, you can almost hear the sour tones of sarcasm that comes with that last sentence. It is Elijah the Tishbite. And like his father before him, he doesn't repent. He doesn't ask for mercy, but he doubles down now by sending his soldiers to drag Elijah before him. However, things do not go as planned. The king sends out the captain of the guards with 50 soldiers to bring Elijah back. Read silent with me as I read out loud verse, uh, nine, verse 9 of 2 Kings chapter 1. The king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. And he went to Elijah who was sitting on top of the mountain. And he said to him, listen to what he says. O man of God, the king says, come down. So he come and demands him, Elijah, come down by the authority of the king. Come down. We need a word with you. The king requires you, his atten- your attendance. But Elijah, in verse, teen, verse 15, uh, 10, but Elijah answered the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, you said so yourself. I am a man of God. Let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. So what happens? Then fire came down from the heavens and consumed him and his 50. What an amazing story. If I am the man of God, then let God show it, let it be demonstrated, and fire comes down and and destroys those 51 men. However, as we go on and read this, continue the story, that this violent turn of events doesn't lead to a changed heart of the king. No, he sends out another captain with his 50 man who rashly demands with more attitude in verse 11, O man of God, this is the king's order. Look what he says, calm down quickly. He adds a little bit more emphasis. Yet we read he meets the same fate as the first group. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us who brings this message back to the king. That Hey, your first 51 men, man, they were, they were consumed by fire. Maybe they didn't believe it, so he sends another. And this man, this, this man says, hey, you come down quickly. Do you not know who I represent? But yet, once again, God shows who's in control, destroys them by 50. He meets the same fate as the first group. But once again, the king sends a third group. However, this captain, I think, has a little bit more going on upstairs, for he comes with a little bit more weariness. In verse 13, we read this. Again, the king sent the captain of the third 50 with his 50. And the third captain of the 50 went up and came, and listen to what it says that he did. And he came and he fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. His posture is so much different. The first, the man of God phrase, I think is almost an accusation that, oh, you are a man of God? Well, then come and talk to the the king. But this man falls on the knees. But then he goes on, oh, man of God. I believe the way he says this is much different than the others. Please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. You see the difference of the attitude and the approachment? Look, verse 14. He goes and I say, behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the former two uh, captains and the 50 men with their 50s. But now 
let my life be precious in your sight. In other words, he's taking these accounts very seriously. He believes them. He trusts in the veracity. Whoever witnessed this and brought this before the king, he believes it now. And this is a captain with a conscience in the fact that he wants to protect his men. So he entreats Elijah, oh man of God, please treat us with mercy. And with this sign of humbleness, the angel of the Lord says to Elijah in verse 15, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. Again, we see the boldness, courage, and confidence of Elijah as he doesn't temper his message, not only in front of this, this captain, but also in front of the king when he declares in verse 16, as he's finally brought before the king, the king is probably saying, who are you? What are you doing? But Elijah says, thus saith the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? That's a good, good question. You already know that I'm a man of God. You're coming saying, man of God. Why did you not come to Elijah? Why did you not come before God? Again, you see the pride and the arrogance of the king who sends to false prophets and sends to false gods. Therefore, you shall not come because you did not come before me. You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And as we saw before, we see that the king lives only two years in his reign. In verse 17, we read that the king dies just as Elijah proclaimed and that Yahweh had promised this passage, once again, as you and I read it, again, we're, we're drawn by the fire, right? Elijah seems to be a man of fire, a man who could call down fire. Could you imagine him on, on the last day of Survivor, the TV show Survivor, and they have to make fire, and everyone else is doing everything else, and Elijah says, hey, you know, he seems to have a knack of calling down fire. But through all this, Saul, it really comes down, not so much to Elijah's faithfulness, though it is, but once again, it proves not only the faithfulness of Elijah, the servant of Yahweh, but also as God protects him from danger, it shows the faithfulness of a God who protects and sustains his servants. The fire from the heaven consumed the hundred plus men proves that Elijah is who he says he is. He is the man of God. He was the one that they should have inquired of. They were, he was the one that they should have come humbly before in the first place. But he's also a servant of God who declares truthfully all that Yahweh reveals to him. So that's how he was confidently and courageously obeyed God's word. Why? Because he trusted it. In it as he came before a king in a, in a dire circumstance or a dangerous circumstance, understanding what the consequences could be, he did so trusting in God. I agree. But as we come to 2 Kings chapter 2, we now finally see that the homecoming of Elijah is close at hand. As we read the two, uh, chapter 2 of 2 Kings, we come to the end of his ministry. And it's at this time on earth, as you and I know that his ministry accomplished, continued in the New Testament when he come on the Mount of Transfiguration, and many of us believe that he will continue to be uh, one of the two witnesses at the time of the Great Tribulation. But in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, 
We read, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. That's how it starts this series. In this passage, we are introduced to Elisha, who's Elijah's successor. And we'll take time in a year or two to look at him in our prophet priest series. He's a great man as well. And we're also introduced to some other prophets who most likely were trained by Elijah. As you might recall, Obadiah had hidden some prophets from Jezebel, and God had promised Elijah earlier that there were 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that had not bowed to the Baal and every mouth that had not kissed him. And what is wonderful to see is we're introduced to Elisha and introduced to these prophets who come out to see Elijah go. It's wonderful to see that Elijah is no longer alone as we caught him in that one chapter but has other servants of Yahweh with him. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us how they knew this. Somehow the spirit had informed them. We don't know if Elijah had made an announcement or some type of pronouncement. But what we see is that Elijah himself and the other prophets know that it's time for him to go home. So Elijah journeys through Gilgag and Beltha, uh, Bethel excuse me, and Jericho on his way to the place where God will take him home. Now, it's interesting to note that all three of these places, these uh, uh, Gilgal and Bethel and, and Jericho, have both positive and negative moments in the history of Israel. Liam Gulliger surmises that this journey surged through mind Elijah, that there is both victory and defeat as we journey through life. But through it all, God is faithful and calls us to be faithful in return. Now finally, <coughs> the moment has arrived for his departure. Look with me with, at verse 11 of 2 Kings chapter 2. And as they went, speaking of Elijah and Elisha and the prophets who were kind of behind, kind of following him, they talked. And behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and saw him no more. This is probably one of the most famous aspects of Elijah's life, is the ending where a chariot of fire comes and just whirls him into heaven. Now, you can talk all you want about the wonderful and, and majestic planes, trains, and automobiles that you and I have to travel in today, but no one takes the cake like this one. This was the ultimate uber black ride. No one else could even go. They push Elijah to, Elisha to the side and off he goes. Some would declare that this was the first concept and the inspiration for the Harley Davidson uh, motorcycle. And I might say amen to that if I was sitting where you were. But like Enoch, he, Enoch, he was walking and talking and then he's gone because God takes him. The prophets, they watch in astonishment as Elijah is transported miraculously into heaven. They plead with Elisha in verse 16, please let us go and seek uh, your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and has cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. So in their mind, hey, maybe he's just been caught by a whirlwind and maybe he's just lying somewhere, maybe even hurt and he needs us. Knowing that the search would be in vain, Elisha still reluctantly gives them permission because they continually to bother him. But again, as we read, there's no avail. For in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 17, we read the final ending 
of Elijah's ministry. We read that for three days they sought for Elijah, but did not find him. Why? Because God took him. God took him home. He took this weary, 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 battle-scarred man and says, it's time to come home. When you and I just read is the homecoming of a faithful servant, of a seasoned warrior, and a dutiful ambassador of Yahweh. Called home, received by the Father. But as you and I read in the, two, in the, in the New Testament, as I said earlier, he's still active in the service of God. Now, as we come to this story, we could stop there and just consider what a miraculous event. What a great ending. Wouldn't it be great if all of our lives ended in such a way? But I think what you're going to do is you're going to miss the big point, the big idea of what this passage is truly sharing. Yes, Elijah is definitely a man who is larger than life. We've used that phrase from the beginning. What he accomplished in one of the most hostile environments for the Lord is miraculous. All the wonderful things that he did. But even though through this he struggled with ordinary human emotions and limitations, God still sustained him in his ministry and then receives him with joy and gladness. So many times you and I, we read stories of these great men and women in the Bible And we raise them up to mythological heights, never considering that we can serve as they did. Nor do we realize that we have the same calling. And what is that calling? To obey God's word, to trust that God will provide and sustain and reward his faithful servants. (laughs) And so that's the idea that leads us up to the big idea. You see it here on the monitor. You and I can confidently and courageously obey God's word in defiance of dangerous circumstances and despite the dire consequences. Why? Because we can trust that we will be received by the loving hands of the Father when our life and our ministry on earth is done. Hold that up there just for a second, son. You and I need to trust that you and I will be received by the loving hands of the Father when our life on ministry and life and ministry on this earth is done. Yes, God calls us to confidently and courageously obey God's word in defiance of dangerous circumstances that you and I will face. Now, you and I may not face the hostility that uh, that Elijah faced, but I believe we're living in a world that's very similar. They do not want to hear what God's word has to say. We will have to stand up in faces of political and cultural and social and even uh, um, uh, employment uh, uh, hostility. When people do not want to hear what the man of God has to say. We will find ourselves at odds with the spirit of the age as well. And we are still to speak the truths of Christ. Now we speak it with gentleness And we speak it with love and we speak it with a hope, with a kindness that will lead others to repentance. You and I may not face the consequences of death, though many in this world do for living for the faith. But our consequences can be just as real and and dangerous for some. It could be social ostracization where we're we're put out of the, the, uh, the public sphere. It may be losing a job. We've seen that already. It may be a legal issue. Maybe things that come down that you and I cannot even imagine. But yet we're still to follow God and God's word despite the circumstances 
despite the consequences. I like the word actually defiance more. Knowing that God's word, as the apostle said, should we please God or should we please man? You will be called. You are called today to do that. What's happening in the California schools is just awful. The things that they're bringing up more and more to teach your children, in which they then tell, will tell you that you have no right to, to, uh, to uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, to argue against. That they won't even tell you when they're going to teach it so you could opt out of it. We see it more and more the laws being codified that, that go against, that are hostile to our faith. But yet as believers, you and I have a great hope. Now, not wishful thinking, not a hope that says, oh, I hope I win the lotto. Oh, I hope my ship comes in. I hope I get that raise. No, but a confident, great expectation that God will be faithful to his promises. So how can you and I be confident and courageous in a world that's hostile to our faith? By remembering that we will be received by the loving hands of a father when our journey is done. Even if our life is cut short, God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's the one who takes the five talents or the 10 talents and makes more and takes the two and makes more. It's not the one who buries his talent that is rewarded but the one who risked it all for the sake of Christ. Now, how in you can I do this? Where do we get our courage? Where do we get our confidence from? It's because we have a great God who is faithful. Listen to some of these wonderful scripture truths. The first one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can turn to there if you want to real quickly. We're going to look at a couple big portions of scripture. They're not on the monitor. 1 Corinthians, in the New Testament, in chapter 15, look at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, speaking of death, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You and I must be motivated and trust, uh, trust that Christ will bring us even through death, for he has defeated it. In 1 Thessalonians, we read of Christ's second coming, chapter 4. Again, several more pages in the New Testament. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, speaking of those who die before Christ will turn, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air they shall do an Elijah. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, he goes, encourage one another with these words. What are the encouraging words? You will be with the Lord. 
So how can you face the difficulties of being a Christian today? By remembering that you will be with the Lord. Yes, we may face suffering in this life. Life may be difficult. It may be lonely living the Christian life, but yet you will have a homecoming that will last for eternity much longer than any difficulty or any suffering you may face today. Like Elijah, we long to hear the words of the Father who will proclaim, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Elijah heard those words. Moses heard those words. David heard those words. And scripture even tells us that Samson, a man who was destroyed by his evil desires, hears those words. We don't have to be perfect. For we have one that is perfect. We have one who says that he will forgive us of all our sins. You see, Jesus is like Elijah. He was the faithful servant who came to seek and to save the lost. He was the seasoned warrior who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life, to light through the gospel. He was the dutiful ambassador who who came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. And because Jesus has come to do and to obey God confidently and courageously, despite the circumstances and the consequences, he says that you and I now have life to do the same. And so you and I are to be faithful servants, to share the gospel. We are to be seasoned warriors who do battle resisting Satan and the lure of the flesh. We are to be dutiful ambassadors who are the fragrance of life and death to those who are perishing and to those who are called to light. You and I are called to be Elijah's because what Christ has done for us. You and I can trust that God will embrace us as his sons and daughters in eternity. And we forget this so often because we are so earthly minded. Scripture promises that we will inherit the new heaven and the new earth. Life may be difficult on this side of eternity. Following Christ means denying yourselves, picking up your cross and following him. But let me share with you, the rewards are much greater than the hardships that you face here on earth. You see, it's easy, or easier, I should say, to be courageous and confident when you know who you are serving. Not a wicked king, but one who does the Father's will and to do the Father's will. To know that where we're sent, that our ministry is here on this earth. To know why we are serving, so that others may come and know Christ and that he may be glorified. And to know how we are to serve as ambassadors, trusting in the Trinity. You and I know who we serve. We are not like the captains of 50 who is serving just an evil king who continually sends them into a death sentence but we serve an almighty God. Now our challenge today as we close up here in the, in the life of Elijah, and our challenge is to follow scripture with confidence and courage. That's what we see from Elijah's life. He courageously and confidently obeyed God's word. 
When God said go, he went. When God said to say this, he said it, despite the circumstances, despite the consequences. You and I need to mark now that you and I need to finish well. Let us not be those who follow Christ, but yet when it comes hard, when it becomes difficult, we walk away and leave the faith. Let us not be one who says, it is well with my soul, but yet as it continues to be get harder, we tend to drift until we find that we're no longer in the faith. You will face dire circumstances. The world is hostile to your faith. And let me share, this is what scripture says, that the world hates Jesus. You say, wait a second, everyone loves Jesus. No, they don't. They love the Jesus of the children's books. They do not love the Jesus who said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They do not love the Jesus who says, go and sin no more. They love the one who says, I forgive you of your sins. But they never allow Jesus to complete his sentence. They love the Jesus who embraced sinners and ate with tax collectors. But they hate the Jesus who went to the cross. going to cost you to follow Jesus. <clears throat> and I would dare say, if it's not costing you anything to follow Jesus, then you're probably not following him. Not confidently and courageously. Knowing this, the scripture gives us warnings. It gives us promises and blessings to those who will persevere, who will go ahead despite the circumstances and consequences. Hebrews says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And that's my prayer is that there are none here that follow that description. Instead, he says, this is one reason that we meet together. And this is why we should meet together, not only on Sundays, but you and I should be doing this seven days a week. For he says, but exhort one another. How often? Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So I pray that none of you in three, five, ten years are found fallen away from God. For we have come to share in Christ, he goes on, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In 1 John, he says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's done to overcome the world is our faith, our trust in God. And who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Again, in John, Jesus said, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Continue Follow me, I have overcome them. In Romans 12, but do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what's my thought that I want to share with you today? Courageously, confidently obey God's word. In defiance and despite the dire dangerous circumstances and consequences you may face. Why? Because you and I can trust that we have a faithful, loving Father who embraces us and brings us home. Who wipes every tear from our eyes. 
who embraces us and calls us sons and daughters, who says, I will be your God. That is the father that you and I have. So what prevents you today? What is it that prevents you today from being the Elijah, from following Jesus, or for following Paul, as he says, as I follow Christ? Is it fear? Is it fear of rejection, fear of failure? Is it a loneliness that you feel that you're all alone in your life? What is it that prevents you from having this confident, courageous trust in God's word? Turn with me as we close to Romans chapter 8. Let me lift your spirit with a promise and wonderful words of Scripture. As we finish the magnificent life of Elijah, and as we strive to follow his pattern of service, I want to share this one last portion of Scripture. And I'm going to ask you to hold on to this portion of Scripture. I'm going to encourage you to memorize it, highlight it in your Bible, put it as a screensaver if that's even a thing anymore. Put a copy of it on on your refrigerator. Share and encourage one another with this truth. Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I could imagine Elijah thinking that as he's on the mountain, and they're saying, come quickly. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against the God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed, look at this, he's praying for you right now. He's interceding for you. Who shall, in verse 34, separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, danger, uh, nakedness, or sword? These are the consequences and circumstances you face. But look at verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things... In all of these consequences, despite these things, we are defiant because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, death, anything else in all of creation will be able to what? Separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's who you are to obey. Courageously, confidently, in defiance, despite the circumstances and consequences that you and I face. Why? Because we have a Father that's ready to receive us and say those wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a little. I will now give you much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me end with this final word. It's here on the monitor. It's from James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. What else can the world give that measures up to this wonderful promise? Nothing. Nothing. 
Every head bowed as the worship team comes up. As we close this wonderful series, I just want you to take one last time to pause, to consider what God has given us through his word. And then to pray and to respond to how the spirit may be moving in your life. Maybe it's a commitment to confidently and courageously obey God's word in defiance of all those things. Maybe it's trusting in that promise. Maybe you're placed in a circumstance right now that seems to be out of your control and you don't know which way to turn and you're afraid of the consequences at the cost. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. Let us know the greatest thing that God has given us is not only does Jesus pray for us, but he's given us a community of believers to strengthen and to build one another up during those special times. Let us do so with love and with grace. Father, you're so good to us. And Father, I pray that we would commit this morning to finishing well, knowing that in ourselves we are not sufficient, but because of Christ, God has made and enable us to do so with the power of the Spirit. Give us courage, give us confidence to obey your word. Lord, let us count the cost and see that it's worth it, trusting that you will receive us home. We thank you for that promise. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.